You are listening to Press Church Podcast. Please enjoy this week's message. Upside Down series is focused on contradicting and contrasting what the world is teaching us, what the world is screaming at us, and what Jesus has been speaking to us in the scriptures this whole time. If we go back to Acts chapter 16, we have that up on the screen highlighting uh, verses 6 and 7. One day my brain will 17 in verse 6. We'll get there by the end of the series. Paul goes to a city and starts preaching the simple gospel message that Christ died for your sins, he was buried in a tomb, he rose again the third day. That simple message was contradictory to what the world was focused on at that time. What the world heard and understood is he's preaching that there is another king, there's another savior, there's someone else who's trying to overthrow the Roman Empire. And we see the statement here, but when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, these who have turned the world upside down. We read in this story that Paul did not come with swords and shields or machine guns. Paul and his team did not come with money and start trying to buy up the people. We see in this story they didn't show up and join a political party and try and get into office to change the rules of the city. They didn't do any of those things. What they did was they went to church and they went to certain people and Gentiles and they said and spoke a simple message that Christ died for your sins, was buried in a tomb, and rose again the third day. That the words of God are so powerful The simple truth of the gospel are so powerful that it can turn a city and a world upside down. Without ever using swords and weapons, without ever using money, without ever using power, just the simple power of the word of God can impact and change people's lives. So we want to look at those teachings over these next couple weeks. We have about three weeks left of this, and we're challenging each and every one of us, with Romans chapter 12, verse 2, that you're not to be conformed to this world, to what the world is teaching us, to what the world is telling us. We're not to be conformed to that, but we are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. So what we have to do is understand what the world is teaching us, understand that that is not correct, find out what the truth is, find out what Jesus is saying about us, and then we need to transform our mind and turn our mind upside down to this new truth that Jesus is preaching to us. The first week we talked about being a servant. Last week we talked about being a giver. This week we're talking about becoming a lover. That hopefully in these last three weeks you have been challenged in some way in your thinking in the way that you walk and interact with people and you interact with your family and at your job and different things. Because I'm going to tell you right now, being a servant is not easy. It's not a fun thing to do to serve others. I find that very easy when my flesh arises when our baby is crying 
right when we go to sleep and turn the lights off. And then she starts crying again at about 1, 2 a.m., and then 3, 4 a.m., and then 5, 6 a.m., and then eventually she wakes up happy at 7.30 a.m. on the dot. I find out very hard, it's very hard to become a servant and get up and serve my wife because I know she's tired and I need to go rock the baby. I find it very hard to be a servant and go take care of my screaming child knowing that we've got church in the morning and we've been up late trying to get ready for church and we've got work and we've got things going on. And then to be a giver, to go in there and give of my time and to give up our resources and things to take care. This sermon is speaking to me before it ever speaks to you. The challenges of, I don't want to get up and do that to, well, Lord, you've been teaching and showing me what I need to do. And today we're going to talk about I am a lover, that the world teaches this simple statement that you are to hate your enemies or that you love the people that you agree with or you love the people that are on your side or you love your friends and family. But anyone who is opposed to you in any manner is instantly deemed your enemy and instantly you are called to hate them. The world teaches humanity to hate your enemies. If someone has wronged you in any capacity, physically, emotionally, then you should hate them. You should attack them. You should destroy them. You should try to embarrass them. You were right They were wrong, and everyone needs to know that. The word hate, defined in the dictionary, is a feeling of intense or passionate dislike for someone or something. An intense or passionate dislike for someone or something. Let's not make it personal right now. Let's wake up a little bit. Let's go from a macro stage. If I asked you the simple question, who would you consider the most hated person in history? Who would you consider? I would assume right when I said that, that someone popped into you. In all of history, I listed five people that I just kind of looked at and researched that I think would deem and they would win the award for most hated person in history. Number one would have to be Hitler, Whitney. How many of y'all thought of Hitler when I said that? Yeah, there we go, yeah. It's believed that during his rise to power, his time of power, throughout all of World War II, 6.9 to 7.4 million Germans were killed during his reign of power. That are, they believe about 6.9 million soldiers or people involved in the war were killed, and then the number bumps up to 7.4 when you just talk about people living in Germany that were killed from just living in a war zone. 7.4 million of his people. Now let's stack on top of this this little thing called the Holocaust where he killed over 17 million people. All because he didn't like them. 
believe it was around 11-something million Jews that he killed, that he focused the Holocaust on. And then another 6-7 million were people with deformities or old people or people who he just didn't like. Another one that I thought might make the top five would be Osama bin Laden, September 11th. Anybody think of him in that one? Noah did, okay, thanks. <laughs> that he was enemy number one when September 11th happened. We had heard of him, there's stories of him. Now compared to Hitler, from the, from the things that I could see, at the most, he potentially killed around three to 4,000 people in various terrorist attacks during his time. Compared to what Hitler did, tiny numbers. But what he did to our nation brought him to the top of the list. The number one enemy ever in America. Here's another guy. You might not have heard of him. Maybe you have in your history books. You might have to go back to the history lessons. The Roman Emperor Nero. Nero was a pretty bad guy. A couple years into becoming emperor, he was very close with his mother and believed that she was going to help him as he was coming to rise to power and listen to everything that she said. And then he started getting whispers that she was potentially trying to take over or killing him. So she just decided to kill his mother. Then he killed a couple of his wives. And then during his reign... They had the great fire of Rome that burned all of Rome to the ground. And it's believed, it's suspected that he started the fire himself. And he had all these crazy parties, did a lot of bad things. But when the great fire of Rome happened, he looked and said, these people are angry, I've got to find somebody to condemn for killing all of these Romans and burning it down, so I'll blame the Christians. And he started this intense persecution of Christians. It's believed that he would have these massive parties in his house and in his backyard, and how he would light up these parties is he would burn Christians at the stake and use them as torches during his party. He was the emperor that was around. He didn't do it himself, but he was the emperor that had Paul and had Peter killed. It's believed that Paul had his head chopped off. It was believed that Peter died on a cross, and he said, don't hang me like my Savior was hung, and they killed him upside down, hanging on a cross. Pretty bad guy. Here we go. Here's another one. I just listed the Dallas Cowboys or the Alabama Roll Tide just because they're potentially the worst teams in all of history. It was really meant for Dalton, but he decided not to come today so I could bash his Cowboys, the most hated teams in the history of teams. And the last one that I have listed that potentially could make the top five is Joseph Stalin. Anybody ever heard of Stalin? 
President Czar, whatever they call themselves, Noah again. He's very up-to-date in his history and dictatorships. It's believed that Stalin killed over 20-plus million of his people in Russia because they didn't agree with him. 20-plus million people. What a guy. Some of the most hated men in history. And we are taught to hate these people with a vengeance for what they did. Now it's fine to be way up high in a macro level of history to talk about those who are hated the most. But let's go micro and let's make it personal today. Who's your enemy? Who do you hate the most right now in your life? Because I'm assuming that as soon as Hitler popped up in your head, somebody else popped up in your head just now. Someone who's done you wrong, someone who's attacked you, attacked your character, attacked your family. I'm not discrediting what they did to you. And we're taught that when someone does something, that person that's in your mind, that you are to hate them and do whatever you can to destroy them. Who would you consider your enemy today? Who would you consider someone that you hate? Could we make it even more personal? And could I ask you, is that person that you hate potentially even yourself? Yeah, it's fine with whatever is happening out there, but a lot of people have issues with loving themselves, dealing with themselves and the trauma and the drama that happens in their lives, that you wake up and you look in the mirror and you can't stand the person that you're looking at. You're embarrassed about what they've done and what they've become and where they're at. The world teaches us to hate our enemies, but today we're going to look at what Jesus encourages us to do. And that's the simple upside-down teaching of love your enemies. And yeah, I can understand potentially loving Hitler from far, far away in some way, shape, or form through the love of Christ. Or loving these people who are so distant and far away and have such crazy things. Yeah, I could, I could probably love them with the love of Jesus. But when I see that family member walk in, when I look at myself in the mirror, when I see that ex-spouse, when I see that boss, when I see that friend or that ex-friend, that hatred that rises up inside, now all of a sudden, uh-oh, this upside-down teaching is something that I don't want to hear. But let's see what Jesus encourages us to do. In Matthew chapter 5, this upside-down teaching of Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 43, you have heard, this is Jesus speaking, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now stop right there. We see right here that all the way back when Jesus was alive, this saying was going around, was well known. Hate your enemies. This is not a new thing that the world is teaching us to hate the people who have attacked us, hate the people that have come against us. There is a saying 
that is very popular in the culture of Jerusalem and the Israelites and the Jewish people at this time, or Jesus wouldn't have highlighted it. Jesus would not have brought it up. You have heard that it is said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. This is a well-known saying. Now Jesus, at this moment, is saying this is what the world is saying. Now let's turn it upside down. Verse 44. But I say to you, here's Jesus saying to the world, this is what the world says, this is what you're listening to, but this is what I'm saying to you today, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Verse 45, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Now what he's saying here is that when the sun rises, it's a good day. So bad people have good days. Good people have good days. It also rains on those same people. That in this world, this fallen world, that yes, Satan has been defeated. Jesus has overthrown him, but not everybody walks in the freedom that Jesus has given us. Therefore, Satan still has, evil still has, sin still is running rampant through this world. We know that by simply watching the news. That there are people out in this world who do really bad things that have a lot of money and a lot of power, there's a lot of really good people who are suffering and struggling and trying to get through life. Jesus recognizes that. He says the sun shows and shines on good people and bad people. It rains on good people and bad people. But we're not to hate them. Let's go back to verse 43. I'm sorry, verse 44. It would be hard enough, Jesus, if verse 44 only said, but I say to you, love your enemies, period, let's move on to the next verse. That would be a hard enough thing to swallow, to understand, to come against. But one, remember we have a God of abundance who doesn't like to just do one thing. He likes to do a lot of things, and he also likes to challenge us to do a lot of things. Love your enemies. Okay, God, I can, I can work on that. Bless those who curse you. Okay, God, that's, that's two. Let's, let's slow it down for a second. Do good to those who hate you. All right, three things, God. All right, let's, let's, let me deal with those. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Okay, God, he turns that simple statement of love your neighbor, hate your enemy, completely on its head. There's no ifs, ands, buts, there's no way around it that I can try and find an excuse to hate someone. And on top of that, he tells me to pray for them. On top of that, he tells me to bless them. On top of that, he tells me to love them. You know, Jesus had enemies. The religious leaders were definitely his enemies. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, 
that as soon as you can read in the Gospels, as soon as Jesus had this speech or this sermon or this encounter with people, the Pharisees and Sadducees would get irate. They would leave. They would go back to their homes and they would talk about how can we kill him? How can we destroy him? How can we shut this down? Over and over and over again. He had enemies that were the Romans. He had enemies that were his best friends in Judas, who was by his side all these times and then looked for a way to betray him and stab him in the back. He had the church against him. He had the government against him. He had friends and family against him. If anybody has the opportunity to stand up and hate someone and criticize someone, Shouldn't it be the Creator? Shouldn't it be Jesus Himself who should be able to hate the people who He created who were trying to attack and destroy Him and kill Him? He had every right. He had every... But He came out with the teaching of love your enemies. Now, I've told you this before that Jesus will never ask you to do something that He hasn't already done. And I know you're thinking right now, You don't know what that person did to me. How can I love them? How can I move past this? How can I overcome this? They are my enemy in every way, shape, or form. But let's look at Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 10. For if when, wait a second, we were enemies. We were reconciled to God through his death of his son. How much More, here's our abundant God again. Having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Verse 11. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Jesus will never make you do something that he hasn't already done, because in this scripture right here, he says, You were enemies. And while we were steeped in our sin, it says that Christ died for us. That the world is an evil, evil place. And it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his son. Jesus himself has made it over and abundantly clear that he has gone out of his way to love his enemies. So if he can do it, we can do it. Because the same spirit that rose Christ from the dead therefore dwells in us. So if his spirit is inside of us and that spirit loves his enemies, then therefore we too can also somehow love our enemies. How can I become a lover? As we finish up, how can I become a lover? Number one, forgive your enemies. Starts with forgiveness. How can you love your enemies if you don't start with the simple process of forgiving them? Look at Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23, starting in verse 32. There were also two other criminals led with him to be put to death. Verse 33. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, or Golgotha, where they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right hand and one on the other, The left hand, verse 34. Then Jesus said, I hate you, Romans. 
I hate you Pharisees and Sadducees. I hate you thieves that you think you're worthy enough to die with me. I hate you disciples for running away from me. I hate you Judas for loving money more than me. I hate you Peter for denying me. I hate you God for sending me. There had to be another way. I hate you Adam and Eve for eating that fruit. I hate you devil for thinking you were better than God and us having to cast you down with the angels. All of those things he would have been justified in saying. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. And all of a sudden the Romans said, what? You're right, Jesus. Thank you so much for your forgiveness. They fell down and they worshipped him. They took him off the cross. They loved him. They bandaged his wounds. They said, you've changed our lives. We're no longer going to be the Roman Empire. We're going to let the Jews take over the world. And we're going to let your gospel message flourish. They started gambling. And they divided his garments and cast lots. Didn't even acknowledge what he said. Father, forgive them. You have to learn to forgive. I understand it's painful. I understand it was wrong. I'm not justifying what that person or people have done to you. But for your sanity, for your sake, and for your healing, now is the time to say, Father, I forgive them. Because ultimately they didn't know what they were doing. They didn't know it was going to hurt me this bad. They didn't know it was going to do this or that. Father, forgive them. Number two, in order to become a lover, one, we've got to learn to forgive. Number two, we've got to learn to hate. We've got to learn on what we should be hating. Look at Proverbs chapter 6, starting in verse 16. These six things the Lord hates. Wait a second. So if the Lord hates, he experiences the emotion of hate. Us as humans also can experience emotion as hate. We've just been directing that hate in the wrong way. That we're called to not hate our enemies but to love them. But this says there are six things the Lord hates. Yes, even seven are an abomination to him. Let's see what the Lord hates. Verse 17. He hates pride, a proud look. He hates a lying tongue. He hates lies. He hates murder. Hands that shed innocent blood. What else does he hate? Verse 18. A heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that are swift in running, running to evil, running to sin. Verse 19, a false witness who speaks lies. He really hates liars. (laughs) Let's, Let's get that down. He's not a fan of somebody lying. And look at this last one. And anyone who sows discord among the brethren. Oh, we got to be careful. Got to be careful about how we talk about people in the church, how we talk about the church, 
how we talk about our brothers and sisters. Because it's so easy in the church to wrap up a gossiping tongue in a prayerful encounter. Listen, I need you to pray for sister so-and-so. You won't believe what she did. Well, what'd she do? Let me tell you what you need to pray for her about. Listen, we just need to keep brother so-and-so in our prayers. He's having this issue and this issue and this issue. That we make sure that we're not sowing discord among the brethren because it doesn't make God too happy about that. We don't have it up on the screen, but I'm just going to read through it real quick. Romans chapter 12, verses 9. We're going to go 9 to 13. Starting in verse 9, it says, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. The word abhor means hate. From what I can see, Abhor is the strongest word in the English language that talks about hate. If you want to talk about hating, abhorring is the very top. The most that you can hate something. The strongest word that you can use for hate is abhor. And in this scripture right here, it says what you're supposed to hate, what you're supposed to hate the most out of everything in your being is evil. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what, abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Verse 10. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. All of a sudden it's talking about loving people. In honor, giving preference to one another. Not lagging in diligence. Fervent in spirit. Serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope. Patient in tribulation. Continuing steadfastly in prayer. Distributing to the needs of the saints. Given to hospitality. You've got to learn what to hate. That if God hates, then it's okay that we hate, but we have to direct that hate toward the same things that He hates, and that's evil, not people. We've got to learn to forgive. We've got to learn what to hate. And lastly, in order to become a lover, we need to learn to bless our enemies. You can come up. Bless our enemies. We're going to keep reading in Romans chapter 9, verses 14. It says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Verse 17, repay no evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. 18, if it is possible, as much as depends on you. If it is possible, and as much as it depends on you, listen to this verse. Live peaceably with all men. If it's possible, live peaceably. And it's up to you. It's up to you and your choices that you're making today. If it's possible, live peaceably. Yes, we're not going to get along with everybody. We're not going to agree with everybody. But we can't hate people. It's not scripturally correct. And if you're a Christian, it's time to turn that thinking upside down. 
Verse 19, Beloved, do not avenge yourself, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, thus saith the Lord. Verse 20, Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, kill him? No, it says feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink full of poison? No, just give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Verse 21, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This week I want to encourage you to read that passage. Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21. Read it yourself in your own downtime. The last scripture I have is Luke chapter 22, verse 49. Blessing your enemies. Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane. Judas has just kissed him. All of his enemies are surrounding him. They're probably foaming at the mouth as they're about to get what they've been looking for and desiring to do for these last three years. The disciples are about to run away. When those around him saw what he was going to happen, they said to him, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? The disciples are ready to go to war. Is this the time that we take over the kingdom? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. Jesus says, yeah, 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 pick up your swords, destroy the enemies, let's hate them, let's take over, let's go all the way to the Roman Empire. And Jesus answered and said, permit even this. And he touched this man, and he healed him. This man's name is recorded in the Gospels. There are a lot of people that Jesus interacted with in the Gospels that do not have a name, that are not even Mentioned by name, but this servant who is coming to who knows do what to Jesus, ultimately kill him, is named Malchus, M-A-L-C-H-U-S. And he is referenced in the Gospels, and this story is referenced that Jesus blessed his enemies. The men who are about to hit him, spit on him, pull out his beard, place a crown of thorns on him, whip him, Release Barabbas, crucify him, put nails in his hands and in his feet. Jesus takes time to pick up this ear, this bloody pulp, as this man is, who knows, dead possibly, struggling to breathe, in pain, blows off the ear, shakes off the dirt, puts it back on. And as soon as he puts it back on, he offers himself up. And after they've beat him and tortured him, who knows if Malchus is one who punches Jesus, who pulls the beard out, who pulls his hair out. Who knows if Malchus then goes into a full rage. We see Jesus at the cross saying, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what he's done. Now is the time to become a lover. In this earth where there's so much hate, so much hate in this world. Now is the time for the servants of Jesus to stand up and declare that I am a lover. But it starts with the asking the question of who do you hate? We've got to work with that first. We've got to resolve that first. We've got to work with who you haven't forgiven yet. Today is the day to forgive them. Pray for them. So when you see them in the future in your walk of life, you can pray a blessing over them. You can bless them and help them. 
Think about this. If Jesus has called us and challenged us to love our enemies, then how much more are we supposed to love and take care of people in our everyday walk? If God says the very top of it is your enemies and you're to love them, then what about people that rub us the wrong way? What about friends and family who aren't always kind? People who aren't even our enemies. How much more are we supposed to love and take care of them? And now begins the journey of becoming a lover. The forgiveness has started right here. The seeds have been planted inside of your heart. The roots of bitterness and hatred have been loosened up and in some of y'all's lives been pulled out. But I'm telling you right now, you're going to have to say, I forgive that person again. Tomorrow morning, you're going to have to look in the mirror and say, I forgive you. I forgive myself again. As you go on this journey to becoming a lover, it starts with forgiveness. It starts with hating what God hates. Knowing what He doesn't hate. God doesn't hate people. God loves all people. And blessing those people who come against you. So Father, we thank you today for your forgiveness. Thank you, number one, that I was an enemy against you and you loved me. And you forgave me and you reached out to me. Why should I gain from your reward? But this I know with all my heart, your wounds, they paid my ransom. I just thank you for that. Thank you for forgiving me of my sins, of my failures, of my shortcomings, of my embarrassing things. And that you've loved me. And if you've done that for me, then I too can go out there and I can forgive people who have attacked me and attacked my family. Come against. I can forgive them and I can love them and I can pray for them and I can bless them, Father. Help us today. If we have sown seeds of forgiveness in our hearts that you uproot the seeds of hatred that have been there for so long. And thank you, Father, for bringing your peace and love today. Father, I thank you for healing your people, for restoring your people, for loving your people, for taking care of your people and everything that they do, Father. I ask you to be with them and bring them back safely next week. In Jesus' name. Amen. Before we leave, let's make our faith declaration. If you can bring up the last thing that we have, and then we will go out. Next week, we are talking about I am a child. We're talking about I am a child. The scripture says that if we are going to come to the kingdom of God, we have to come as a child. The world tells us if you're going to grow up in the world, you've got to be an adult. Put on a suit and tie, get a big brain, go to the office, do this, do that. But the upside down teaching is if you want to be a part of the kingdom of God, you've got to be like a child. So let's say our faith declaration this week, starting on the left side, I am a world changer. I will change my world. I am a servant. I am a giver. I am a lover. I am a child. I am a believer. I am a receiver. I will change my world. I am a world changer. God bless you. We love you. We will see you next Sunday. Take care, family. 
Thank you for listening to Press Church Podcast. If you would like more information about us or are interested in giving to our ministry, you can click the link in our bio or visit presschurch.org. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Press Church SC and have a great week.